Welcome to Baby Wearing and Breastfeeding, Nurturing Miracles, a podcast dedicated to the unique challenges and joys of parenting medically complex kids. Each week, we'll engage in discussions relevant to all parents navigating their children's illnesses. I'm your host, Megan Pa, a lactation consultant and mom to a medically complex child, here to share insights and support on this nurturing journey. Welcome to Baby Wearing and Breastfeeding Nurturing Miracles. This is the podcast where we talk about everything baby wearing and breastfeeding specifically tailored for our medically complex kids. I'm your host, Megan Pa, and today we're going to be joined by none other than Sonia Elder. So Sonia is really important to me. Um, Not only has she helped me process the diagnosis of my son when I was pregnant, but she also helped me navigate the medical system when he was born. She also helped me with breastfeeding my first son, and she is the person that kind of led me to becoming a lactation consultant. And I'm really, really lucky to call her my aunt. So I get to talk to her all the time, and I'm really, really excited that I get to bring her on the show today so that you can hear from her as well. Sonia has 30 years of working in uh, women's health. So she has been a nurse, a lactation consultant, a grief counselor. She specifically works with um, maternal and fetal complications of medically complex children. So I'm really excited to have her here. With that, Sonia, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into being a lactation consultant and and then going from there to where you're at now? Well, first of all, you're trying to make me cry with that beautiful introduction. Um, It is an honor to watch you in your career and what you've done for women. And so it's an honor to just be a part of this. Um, So I will tell you, uh, it seems that our paths may have kind of followed a little similar track. I initially became an RN and fell into women's health because while I was going back to school to get my degree, I worked in an OBGYN office because the schedule was more flexible. And the provider that was in that practice was someone that literally started me recognizing the difference that I could make. And then everything else paralleled where I was in my life. When I got pregnant, it was like, oh, I'm going to learn about childbirth. And so I got my certification, my Lamas certification in childbirth education. And then it was like, oh, my gosh, breastfeeding. This is a big deal. And the next thing you know, I got certified in lactation. And um, it was a it was a big deal. We started um, baby friendly at VC. Well, it was MCV then. So it was just a good trajectory of my life as these things happened. Thank you goodness, as I moved into having these specialties, uh, the next thing I fell into was working with what we call high-risk pregnancies or now medically complex is the term that's used mostly. Um, And I was uh, just to be on a journey with parents that are going through that. uh, And like you said, just be an advocate and support them. That's where I found my calling. And it is not an easy path because you're dealing with like the two to three percent. And so sometimes you forget that, you know, 97, 98 percent of pregnancies are completely um, normal. And when I say normal, uh, common (laughs) and and that, you know, there are these two to three percent that have some type of maternal or fetal, you know, indication that would make them complex. 
um, which then led me into pregnancy loss and grief counseling specifically. Um, I worked with Fetal Infant Mortality Review, which is where you um, were interviewed with moms at, who had had losses up to a year in infancy and tried to help navigate and figure out what ways could minimize that. And that let me know that that was, again, a special calling that I felt drawn to. And that's when I did the, you know, chaplaincy and those yeah. things. So. What is, I'm really curious, actually, because, you know, most, like you said, what is most common is for 97, whatever, 98% of pregnancies to be normal. And then, you know, when you fall into that bracket of like, okay, this isn't normal, like with Tyson and his hydronephrosis, that is actually one of the most common like abnormalities to see on an ultrasound. I don't know what percentage, like he just fell into the lucky category of also only having one kidney and also out of that one kidney, only half of it being functioning. Right. But I mean, I'm just curious, what are some of the other conditions that are very common that you see in, in fetal complications? So again, remember, I'm not the genetic counselor, so I'm the one that just in my experience, yeah, experience. and remember my, my experience is even more narrow than what we call maternal fetal medicine, because I am now working with life limiting, you yeah, know, lethal, a lot of complications. Mm -hmm. So what may seem for me to be the majority still may be the less than, less than, less than um, percentage. Yeah. Um, but some common ones you may hear about are open neural tube defects like spina bifida, um, that, that is one um, that you may hear. Um, another one that's not as common, but is also an open neural tube defect is called anencephaly, or you'll hear acrania. Um, and that's where the brain and um, skull don't develop in the fetus. Um, and a lot of these are not um, genetics. They are, you know, developmental from the very um, beginning of, you know, development of an embryo. So, um, you know, nowadays when people have ultrasounds so early or, um, you know, lab tests and things, you can pick. Some other common ones are trisomy 21, you know, that is a, a, a common condition that we see, and trisomy 18, trisomy 13. Um, a lot of those um, are uh, what you hear called miscarriage, but the appropriate term is a spontaneous abortion or a missed abortion earlier in the pregnancy. Can you explain? Cases. So trisomy 30, 20, 21, and I, is it trisomy or tri, trisomy? Trisomy. Trisomy 21. That's Down syndrome. Correct. What is 18 and 13? I'd have to look those up, the names. There, there, are, there are genetic names for that. And if you need me to, I can look them up and provide those for you. We'll add them um, in the notes. Well, we can add them in the um, chat notes. Yeah. I thought that would be you know interesting for our listeners to yeah. understand, um, especially if they connect with that. So yeah. specifically, your role is when these women come to you and they have found out their their baby's diagnosis, you are helping them process their their emotions at this time. You're helping, do you help them navigate the medical field now and put their team together? Can you so, so there is a, 
actually, we're fortunate enough at our institution that there is a specific position called perinatal complex navigator. Oh, that's nice. And so that nurse is specifically responsible for connecting like you and your pregnancy to the correct um, specialist. So you would have gotten connected to the pediatric urologist Mm -hmm. or to MRI, or if your baby Mm -hmm. had a cardiac condition to, you know, peds for a fetal echo, you know, a heart test or things like that. So that is her specific job. Mine is once it's diagnosed to offer options. And then um, we get referrals now from all over the East Coast and from genetic counselors and physicians, direct calls from parents who find us who just want to know what their options are and then connecting them to the appropriate resources. Um, If they want to know more about their condition, making sure they get connected you know, to the complex care program, if they want to interrupt the pregnancy, you know, getting them connected to that. Yeah. Um, So all those things. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I mean, I want to have the difficult conversations about, you know, because when a woman finds out that her baby is medically complex and she's in her pregnancy, she has got so many different things to consider. So, you know, I think one of the things that comes to mind is what is the likelihood of her carrying the baby to term? And then once the baby is born, what is like, how long is the baby going to survive depending on what condition the baby has and having to navigate all of those questions in addition to processing that the experience. Um, Also, I think that what is, you know, interesting and I want to talk about and bring up um, is just, you know, they're processing these things is like, this is a difficult conversation to have, but like you getting people from all over the country, like what state do they live in? Are people traveling to you to come and see you to, to help you with, to help them with this? Absolutely. So, um, at the way the, um, you know, the way the mm-hmm. country is right now, it's a uh, very, difficult for um, women to just be offered options because of fear, fear of the, you know, the providers. Oh, sorry. My lights went out. <laughs> um, fear of the providers. Yeah, the mouse. <laughs> yeah. um, I got to remember that. <laughs> That'll be a little closer this time. Um, you know, the providers in certain states have fear of even documenting that yeah. they've offered. Um, and so, um, you know, offered these options to families. And so they the families are ending up reaching out on their own. And I know we're not going to really talk about it today, but I just want to make sure that we do understand, too, that there are maternal complex issues as well. Um, you know, that carrying a pregnancy to term um, can be life threatening for the mother. And so, you know, we want to make sure that we're hooking those women also to appropriate resources. Um, And it also is a hugely um, difficult and traumatic path that that really requires good counseling and grief support as well. Absolutely. I'm really glad that you mentioned that because, you know, when we're talking about pregnancies, it 
the pregnant, it's a dyad. It's not just the fetal development. It's the mother too. And how is her, her health conditions, you know, impacting the, you know, how is the pregnancy impacting her health condition? Absolutely. Really important that you brought that up Um, because I don't want listeners to hear this and think of it as one-sided because it's not, it's not one-sided. We have to look at at them as a dyad and as together. So, um, and we really want, I mean, it's, these are really tough conversations to have and difficult choices to make. I want to definitely make sure that people understand that this is a safe space and that it, it people that are listening to this show, you know, is also a non judgmental space. Absolutely. Because I think that one of the things that women have to navigate when they have such, you know, and they're, they're in the 1% or the 1% of the 1% with their pregnancies and their complications, that they are feeling like they're being judged for whatever decision that they are making. And that is really tough. It's just like layer upon layer of things that they have to navigate. And it is so important to number one, have support, have resources, and, you know, to recognize that none of this is easy. And none of this is also, you know, it's, it reminds me of, and and you can, talk to this, but it reminds me of like how you go through stages of grief. Like you can process and make some of these decisions and then you're working your way back and you're having to do it all over again because of all the different layers. So we're going to talk about that, but uh, you make a very good point. Um, One, again, it's a safe space. And I tell parents all the time, there is no question you can ask. And, and you need to ask. And I tell my friends, my coworkers, everyone, I would rather you ask the question, tell me what concerns you about certain aspects so that we can talk it through. And then maybe we'll come to an understanding. Maybe we'll still disagree about certain things. But what we are is respectful and understanding that this is parenting. And, you know, parenting whether you continue a pregnancy or interrupt a pregnancy is parenting. You are trying to do your very best for the child that you're caring for, whether it's a living child or a child in utero, you're doing your very best and decisions that we make in this moment. And in fact, you know, my children or are, you know, your age. Right. And Mm -hmm. I still think about, well, maybe I would have done this differently but different is because now I'm in a place that's different. And so I might make different decisions now in the next day, in the next week, in the next 10 years, but that's because we're in a different place and have different information. And I think we just have to be kind and gentle with ourselves and others and really make sure that we know sometimes saying even I would do this. How many times have we said, Oh, I would definitely do this. And then you get to that situation and you're like, what was I thinking? I, yeah. you know, I can't oh. do this. I swore that my kid would never have a snotty nose or a messy teacher. Right. Or right? eat McDonald's. Exactly <laughs> right. The third time this week. Exactly right. I mean, it's like, you know, you do the very best you can. And sometimes our best is great. And sometimes our best is not so great, but it's not because we didn't try. Yeah. And so if we can always be gentle um, with parents, I think, and I, you, one of the questions later is what's the thing that I've learned most? And it's like, there is no one way. There mm-hmm. is no right or wrong. It is the best we can do with where we are. Yeah. 
and and being gentle with ourselves and and kind yeah. to others. I, so. I really love that you said that because I think so much is like when you are making decisions from a place of going through trauma, right? I feel like your brain doesn't work. There's like this brain fog or brain haze that you get. You know, I talked about it like in my first episode because I when I was talking about being in the NICU with Tyson and mm -hmm. the moment when, um, you know, you have so many doctors come and talk to you in the NICU like every day and it's oh, it can be overwhelming. And so and then here you are, too, like if you if you have carried this baby to term and then you've given birth and now you're also like in a NICU, your body is physically exhausted right. for, for the mother. So um, I, I one specific thing that I mentioned that I'm sure some people can relate to in different ways is that brain fog, which is that we had them come in and, and talk so much about how you babies couldn't have a kidney transplant until they were 22 pounds. And Tyson was born at eight pounds and they thought for sure he was going to need one soon. And my brain, they left the room with that information and soap and I's brains went immediate to like, Oh, he's going to die because he's right. not going to make it to 22 pounds. I wasn't thinking clearly enough to realize that they could do dialysis on an infant, even though that's not ideal. But like immediately we broke down because my brain wasn't thinking and I was in such a fog and a haze. I needed somebody else to tell, to make my brain work for me. And so I think so many people that so many of the people that you see are working so hard just to process their emotions that their brains are not like able, they need help. Like I can't imagine somebody having to deal with like a lot of this stuff by themselves without somebody navigating them. When and so I, I think going back to what you said about how we have to be so gentle with ourselves, because even fast forward, you know, a few months or a year and you're like, oh, I, that was so silly of me to think that way. But you got to recognize like these moms are like going through trauma, you know, so their brains are not thinking clearly and you got to be really gentle with yourself and for however long of time that you need. So I love that you brought that, that you specifically brought that up and, and said that there does not have to be run one right way. And, and we know that we have to hear things three times when we're processing, we have to hear things three times. And one of the grief support groups um, with women who had gone through pregnancy loss, we got them to say some of the things that had gone, you know, as well as could be expected with their process and things that we could improve. And one of the things was make sure that you have you recommend for them to have notebook and paper whenever they're talking. Um, you know, with someone about it, whether it's on the phone or in person, because what they can write down. And then when we read it later, we can be like, oh, I wrote that one key word. Why did I write that? What does that mean? Or if both partners or, you know, whoever's gone with you, your support person is writing as well, that helps. It's like, oh, they heard this. I heard that. And now you can kind of put it together and ask more formative questions, but having an advocate. And I will tell you that having someone that it's not directly affecting. So the parents are both wrapped up in it. And, you know, I, I say this having been with parents in childbirth 
you know, it is an experience for both of them. So the expectation that the partner can just like handle everything is too much. Just because the woman happens to be pregnant, the other partner has, um, you know, so many other things going on too. And and I think that having just a, another pair of ears to hear that's not completely engaged in, like you said, that trauma or numbness or shock can be very helpful. Um, it, it's almost like a doula, a doula for, you know, navigating this process. So they may not be, you know, like interjecting themselves, but when they leave, they can say, this is what I heard, you know, or, you know, this was what was important to you. Did you want to ask this? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So there's so many gold nuggets in what you're saying, you know, kind of just like recapping everything. Like the first is obviously be so kind to yourself and for everybody else listening, non-judgmental. The second thing, honestly, I, I love that you are bringing up the partners, right? Because absolutely like it is their, their loved one, their baby, like they're processing it too. And not absolutely. And the, the third is because both of you are processing this to have somebody else, well, actually third and fourth, right? Because then you, then you offered the suggestion of writing everything down, man, looking back, I kind of wish that I, I had done that. Um, but, but I was lucky enough to have you and have Julie. So Julie, for people listening, Julie is my sister. And so, um, I still like, you know, when I still have to call and be like, this is what they said. And I'm probably not thinking of all the questions I should ask because having a second person who is, who is non, um, I mean, you may be slightly emotionally and you are a little emotionally involved, but you're, you're a a step removed. You're a step removed. So your brain is thinking. I mean, obviously I care about you. I care about Tyson, but but my everyday life is not affected by that. Exactly. So you are, you're able to be like, ask this, what about this? Like, have you talked to this person? And then I'm like, Oh no. Yeah. Yeah, I should get like a second opinion and take him to see another specialist. Do you know what I mean? Like that's. Or child life, right? The child life specialist. I mean, something when he's going through his surgeries and you, you know, Simone and Lincoln and Rowan and him and everybody needs a little, you know, focused on them. Exactly. That's another, oh my gosh, that's the fifth good nugget. And so for the people listening that are dealing with really complex pregnancy and these big decisions, you know, having to think about your children at home, because again, we're talking about the mother and the father processing it, but siblings do too. Absolutely. Siblings do too. Especially, you know, let's think about like a woman that is farther along in her pregnancy, the other children know it, maybe they're excited, maybe they're not aware of any complications and then having to go home and, and be like, no, you know, I'm, this, this is what's happening. You know, yes. they're going to process it and having somebody to help them process it individually Absolutely. and as a family is so important. Yeah. I, I try not to uh, insert my very personal opinions about things, but as specializing also in children in grief, I will tell you, children always know. They know something is not okay with their parents. So whether they know you're pregnant or not, whether they know anything's going on with the pregnancy or not, they know something is going on. So trying to protect them, which we do as parents, or trying to, you know, not give them information to protect them, 
really, in my experience and in the grief groups I've done with children, um, can delay their processing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that's really important to note is that when we grieve, at depending on our age, we have to then grieve every time we go into a new developmental phase. Interesting. Okay? So oh. if, a, if a three to five-year-old loses, you know, someone dies um, and they're processing it as a three to five-year-old, they will then process again as a school-age child, as an adolescent, and as an adult because we process loss differently at every developmental stage. So if they, you know, one of the things that I hear commonly is an adult say, I found out when I went through this that my mother had a loss. Okay. And so the mom never mentioned it. And this, you know, person grew up. And then when they experienced that, they were told. So now everybody's processing that loss. Oh, I had a sibling that I didn't know about. The, the, Future again, we talk about siblings, grandparents. Everyone is involved in this, you know. Everyone, you know, is processing in a way that needs to be supported. And we call it anticipatory grief. And I think we need to understand that that grief doesn't mean someone has died. It mm-hmm. means that there is a change or a loss that's occurred that we weren't expecting and that requires processing. So You know, I had it explained to me very early that when you have a pregnancy, no one expects anything to be wrong or medically complex or anything. So that's like planning a trip to Italy, like, oh, we're getting all the baby stuff. We're planning to deliver here or do a home birth or breastfeed. Sorry. (laughs) breastfeed, uh, do all these things. And we've planned this trip beautifully. Right. And we started planning the minute we found out. Well, then somewhere along the journey, maybe you're on the flight and the plane lands in China. And you're like, wait a minute. I learned Italian. I made a menu. I picked all the hotels and restaurants. And now that I've landed in China, wait a minute. It's not that China's not okay. It's just I wasn't planning for that. I don't understand that. And now I've got to learn a new language. I've got to learn how to adapt and adjust to this. So you're going to grieve your loss of Italy, even though China's a lot of beautiful things to see there and, and try and learn and eat and do. So I had someone explain that to me with a child that you're expecting this child to have this path, this pregnancy, this child. And then when it takes, you know, a a turn or a different journey, we have to adapt to that. And some of us are better adapters than others. Yeah, no, that is really, really interesting. I mean, it just makes you think, you know, how many times in your life, in everyday life, do you say, oh, yeah, I'm going to drive to work. And then whatever, there's a flat tire. There's your detour. And it's like, how can you process that? I can get really angry. I can get really sad. I can. But the reality is it is what it is. And now yeah. I've got to move, you know, yeah. one way or another. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like, hey, cry for a minute or yeah. yell. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so that I, anticipatory grief for all of us, whether you continue a pregnancy or interrupt a pregnancy, it's still anticipatory grief. You're still yeah. going to have some grief associated with that. I'm sure you and Soap did. Yeah. You know, can you walk me? That's 
really so interesting. I've never heard it explained like that. Um, I, I love that. And that really makes you think about all the people around you too, that is, that are walking this with you. Can you walk me through more in depth? Like you mentioned anticipatory grief, like for those of, for those listening that are kind of new to this or maybe not so familiar with like the stages of grief and, and cause I didn't even think about that until you said it, like the anticipatory grief of, you know, knowing that this is not going to be the normal, healthy pregnancy. And also I think what's also wrapped up in there is that for the people that choose to continue with the pregnancy or choose to, um, you know, give birth and see how long, like not knowing what to expect, I guess. There's so many other emotions wrapped up into that, Absolutely. you know, hope, anxiety. Also, this is really, nobody really talks about this, but like, even if you are having, if you are having a medically complex pregnancy and you're going to carry the baby to term and you're hoping for the best outcome, you know, what's really weird. You still want people to say congratulations. You still want to give birth and, and, you right. know, and so I think a lot of people forget that when you share the news of like, you know, I'm pregnant, I'm going to have this baby, but also this baby has these things. When the person that you're sharing the news hears that they go immediately to sympathy and pity. And sometimes a lot of times we just need to hear like, congratulations, you're having a baby, you yeah. know? Or tell me how you're feeling about that. Yeah. You know? Tell me, tell me, how are you feeling about all this that's going on? And if you say, oh, gosh, I'm so excited. I know this is going to be difficult, but I'm excited. Then I can say, you know what? I'm excited for you. And even though, you know, it may be difficult that there is joy and, yeah. Uh, and yeah. happiness associated with this. So, I, you know, I the other thing is just with pregnancy, you know, when people say I'm pregnant, Everyone's first response is congratulations. Well, what if it was unplanned? What if you're getting ready to, you know, go on this big school journey and, you know, pregnancy was not a planned thing? Uh, it's okay to say, tell me how you're feeling, you know, feel, feel out the person, you know? God, that is uh, such another really good gold nugget that, yeah. you know, ask them first, how are they feeling about it? And then, you know, you can respond appropriately to that because when somebody tells you that they're expecting, like, obviously you're getting the news from somebody that value, values you, you know, you're somebody that's important to them in their life that right. they're sharing this big news from. And so you love that person. You want to respond to them in a supportive way. And so the best way to do that is to ask them how they are feeling about yeah, it. Tell, and me, then, tell me about yeah. that. And you know, when we're, when we're talking about this, so let, let's even go one step deeper. So let's say someone finds out in a pregnancy that there's this medically complex condition, and maybe it was an unplanned pregnancy that really they were just getting used to, right? They're about 18, 20 weeks maybe, and they're just now getting to the place where, you know what, maybe I'm going to be okay. And this is, you know, I'm, I'm going to get through this. And then they find out that they have this medically complex condition and now they're thrust into, you know, all this information and having to make decisions. And really one that's topmost in their head is guilt. You know, yeah. like, wait a minute, I initially thought that I didn't want to be pregnant. And, you know, there's there is no magical thinking. We're not children. We cannot wish these things on. Yeah. And so I think just, you know, sometimes you have to be really blunt and very clear, you know, 
with folks. That's why I never use words like passes or sleeping, especially with children. You know, you have to say dying. You have to say, you know, very yeah. ill. You have to say those things. People don't understand what does life limiting mean. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it means that their life will be impacted continuously with yeah. this condition. Yeah. So trying to be very clear, um, very direct, and but also not use a lot of words. Yeah, no. <laughs> Which I have um, a tendency to do sometimes. <laughs> That is so important that you brought that up because I think that people are afraid to be, yeah. to speak directly, but it's really important for processing it, not yes. only emotionally, but just making decisions. And it, that's important for your providers, for a parent, a woman's provider Absolutely. to be direct for them and not talk around the subject because I mean, providers like they're, they're people, they're, they feel for you. They don't want to maybe sometimes give the information in a way that it's going to be like, oof. but you yeah. got, you have to, you know, you, you do. Have they're to. human. They're yeah. human, just like we are. So, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they have feelings as well. We don't know what they bring, you yeah. know, when they come to, so, you know, again, being gentle with them, but also saying, look, I, I hear you saying these things, but again, you're in the fog. And the other thing I just want to be really clear on is, is counseling. When you get a diagnosis um, or when you hear a diagnosis or something that's going on in the pregnancy, even without having a, a, anything going on in the pregnancy, just being pregnant is a reason to have someone to talk it out with, to be supportive with. And again, that counselor or therapist is another person that is removed, that can hear what you're saying and actually help you develop maybe the questions you need to ask because maybe this is one thing that you're fixated on or worried about and it's really not something you know to be anxious about yeah absolutely and that is somebody that like in future episodes where i'm going to be talking to a mental health therapist because you if you are navigating this path like it's that's so important it really yeah. is important because it's just so complex um, I think trying to dig yourself out of that hole, um, you, you need a little assistance for sure. You do. And, and again, um, I'm not a fan of Googling at all. Yeah. I know lots of people do it. And the second you hear this word, you Google it. Um, or when you're looking for options or you're looking, that is not the best place to go. And the reason for that is because everyone needs guidance. Mm -hmm. And so if you come to me and say, this is what the doctor said, then I can give you reputable Google sites to go yeah. to, as opposed for you just typing in the search engine this one word. We all know when we type in breast, what happens when we Google that? <laughs> right. I mean, my work used to block it when I would type in things for my job. Yeah, that's so funny. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Actually, I've got two stories that relate to that. I mean, clearly you just brought up like as a lactation consultant, like a mom can go on there and type in all kinds of crazy things. I literally just had a patient yesterday yesterday. Um, saying that she was like changing the settings on her pump every two to three minutes because that's what she read on the internet to tell right. her to do. And I was like, oh, geez, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. Um, and so uh, you direct her, you direct her. I was like, gosh, go to these websites. You know, if you're a parent, go to the CDC, the National exactly Institute. Exactly right. 
if you're looking for lactation stuff, La Leche Lee, Kelly Mom, you know, right. a, a personal relation to that story is again, you know, and this was even recent. It's like nowadays when you go and get tests, like you can get any kind, even for yourself, right? You get blood tests, you get ultrasounds, like scans. And then because everything's through the computer and online, you'll have a portal and you'll get the test results before oh. you even talk to your doctor. I know. My love-hate relationship with that. It, it is. It is a very love-hate relationship. It's like having access to your children's grades every minute of every day. That is not a good thing. Everybody has not a good day. You can't focus on snapshots. You have to right. look at the big pictures. Yep. And so going going onto the portal and getting results that are normal, but because they're, you know, 0.01 under and everybody just like ah, goes crazy. I mean, I am absolutely an advocate for having your own information. But when you get that information, one, I think there needs to be a provider readily available. Yep. And so, you know, to be able to say, look, you're going to see these results. If you can just give me till the end of clinic day today, yeah. I'll walk through that with you. OK, yeah. but please give me a minute. Don't panic. And I'll walk through it with you when we can sit down and talk so that you're not anxious all day long waiting to hear back from, you know, the provider about like, oh, what does this mean? What is it, you know, doing? And some of it is serious, you know, like that you can see your fetal echo. How are you supposed to navigate that? That's you what know, I was just heart testing. Yeah, I was not just testing that. And also, yeah. like, if you have, if you already know that you have a complex pregnancy and that there's issues going on, and like, let's say, because we, we get seen a lot, like, let's say we're at our weekly perinatologist visit, you're getting your weekly scan, yes. and then you get it sent right away, and it'll say to you, you know, um, extreme swelling of, you know, such and such, and like, you know, swelling of you know extreme swelling and thickening of the bladder like obviously i'm referring to like stuff with tyson but um but and so you're reading that and you're like oh no oh my god but then the doctor gets on maybe a day later so now you've had 24 hours to just panic and right. the doctor gets on and is actually like no this is fine like this is not yeah. a change from the previous right. no changes it's no right. change so it's okay. You know, yeah. like we're pretty stable from what the discussion. You had 24 hours of freak you know, out. Exactly. Yeah, unnecessary stress right there. Yeah, so it's really important to let your provider talk to you so you can avoid the unnecessary stress. You're right. Okay, so can you share any stories of parents that have found out that they're going through this and something that really has touched you and the in the way of like their resilience or grit because one of the things that is really important to me um really the reason that i actually wanted to create this podcast was because nobody who has any kind of a health condition especially when it's your child and you control can control it and they or can't control it nobody chooses that storm Nobody chooses right. to walk that path, um, but you have to, like, this is what you got to do and you got to weather the storm. And so one of the things that I wanted with this podcast was to give parents a sense of resilience and grit because nobody is sitting here. Nobody can tell you that it's going to be okay because maybe it's not, maybe it's not going to be okay, but you got to be resilient and um, we got to walk the path. 
So are there any specific stories that people have, that you have worked with that have just struck out at you that uh, maybe you don't have to share specifics, but um, that those, those families really had resilience and grit, like a tidbit that you could share with everybody? So I, I'm just going to use an, a different example for the fact that you are the prime example of continuing a pregnancy making sure that you were an advocate for your child, getting the best resources that you could, um, you know, surrounding yourself with your village. Um, and, and, and again, being an advocate, being an advocate, that's all I can say over and over. You shouldn't necessarily have to be your own advocate, but you are your child's advocate. Um, and so you are the prime example of that for continuing. And so uh, I think every day, you know, maybe there are minutes that you don't think about it. Maybe there's even an hour that you don't think about it. But I bet it's not an every day. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure for you, there's not an all day where you just, you know, it doesn't somehow yeah. flow through. Now, it may not interrupt anything, but it's a flow through. It's a processing of your life. And because it's now your norm, you don't think about it. You don't think it's anything extraordinary. But it is. It's one more thing as you care for all your children that it's there. So I'm going to give an example of, of someone that it works in the in, a, in another way. And so um, someone that was referred to me by the social worker um, that worked with me here. And it was a friend of hers and a colleague who had very, in a pregnancy, found out at their 20-week scan that there was um, a very, very severe um, brain abnormality. Um, they already knew the gender. They had already named the baby. Um, it was a much-wanted pregnancy. Um, and then they proceeded to have every test that they could, every second opinion that they could, um, which then is taking you weeks and, um, you know, as you get fetal MRIs of the brain and talk to pediatric neurologists and you're trying to figure out what quality of life this child is going to have um, if they even survive. Mm -hmm. um, and it really came to the consensus that it was absolutely absolutely not going to be any type of positive outcome, that, that the baby would definitely die. They just couldn't say when and in how much difficulty. Yeah. And as a parent, again, suffering for our children, things like that, we do the best we can. And so with huge support and processing, they elected to interrupt the pregnancy, mm -hmm. um, which in and of itself was you know, one of the most difficult times of their life. But we don't think about pregnancy after loss. And this coincidentally was a first pregnancy. And so they took years of counseling and grief support to decide because they found out after they had elected to interrupt the pregnancy. And you'll hear um, termination for medical reasons. That's another term that's used. I tend to use interruption of pregnancy for medical reasons. They found out that it was genetics. It was, uh, yeah, so there was a 25% a chance with every pregnancy that yeah. this would occur. And so that required a lot of soul searching, 
Um, and anyone that's listening who's been through reproductive endocrinology knows that it can be a very expensive process um, to do that. And um, especially when you have a condition like this where you're you're trying to, you know, negate maybe some of the pain you might experience. Well, I don't know what could be braver or more courageous. And that's what I tell people. Courageous is being brave in the face of fear, <laughs> you know, when you're really afraid and yet you continue. Um, and they elected to um, try and have a pregnancy again. And uh, they had, um, you know, all the tests, all the anxiety leaving up, leading up to that. So they were able to do testing on the pregnancy to determine that um, he was a carrier but did not have the actual um, abnormality. I, know. I think I was holding my breath for some of that, I know. Like that, I know. End of that story. Um, there are some that aren't as um, beautiful as this yeah. turned out. Um, and so, you know, I don't want to be a complete downer, but this is this is what we do every day. We see yeah. the parents that do have repeated losses and repeated conditions. Um, but for this family, uh, and he turned four. Oh, um, I love it. And, I love it. And, uh, and yet they think about their previous baby and they talk to their son all the time. She's remembered in their life. Um, and he will grow up knowing that he had, you know, a sister. Oh, I love so, it. That's beautiful. Um, that is courageousness. That is, you know, every day knowing something impacts your life and still choosing to be joyful and move forward um, with hard work the same way you do with hard work every day. Um, and some days you want to be just like, <laughs> I think that is what helps people weather the storm is even though you can never know the outcome is that knowing that you are not in that storm alone, even if people's stories are not relatable to yours, you know, like it, it, the condition is totally different, Correct. but just that it's, you know, because you were you're a Lamont, you were a Lamont's teacher. It's even just dialing it back to something that's very natural for us and got us to ten billion, nine billion people on this planet is birth. When you are giving birth, and it is so intense, knowing that Absolutely. the strength that you get just knowing that you are not the only person that has done this before or that is Absolutely. doing that moment. And so it's your moment, that moment, that's your, that exactly it. But, but you are connected to the half of the population that has also done it. <laughs> exactly. And so I think that women, families, women, families can get resilience and grit hearing the stories of others, especially one like that, where they have faced so many challenges and so much difficulty and grief, and they just kept going. And and that is strength. That is strength. And she is a resource now and has been for other parents oh, going I through similar that. conditions. She does counseling because as a social worker, she's able to provide counseling um, professionally as well as personally, um, support groups. It's uh, She has now taken her experience and, and, and gone forward with that, you know. Um, random acts of kindness. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but I, this isn't random, but she has chosen to take what was a very traumatic experience and 
and make sure that others, uh, you know, can process and, and, and move through it as well. So yeah, that's beautiful. Can I ask, so a personal reflection, I mean, you are 30 years in now to like a beautiful well, I charged a little because I didn't want you to think I was older, you know, <laughs> but it's technically, <laughs> I'm even sad to say it is, it's 36 years. Oh my God, that's amazing. That's a little. Um, and then probably, you know, 30 specifically in perinatal loss yeah. and grief counseling. Yeah. How gorgeous are you? Oh my gosh, fudge a little for 36 years in. Oh. I love it. How is it? But but how, what I want to know specifically is like you work with the 1% of 1%. Do you feel like it has changed your view on pregnancy and being I, a parent? It had, and I'm, I'm not sorry to say, but it does make me a little sad that because of the people that love me and know what I do, when when anyone is pregnant, it is like I always am cautiously optimistic, but long gone is that, um, you know, naive feeling that everything will be OK. Be and yeah. so I, I grieve that myself a little bit. And I tell you, when you, you're grieving for your or you're anxious about being pregnant yourself, it is tenfold for your grandchildren. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I honestly that's. I love this conversation because you get so in it about yourself and it's not meant to be like narcissistic or selfish, but you do forget that like there's so many other people that care for you and love for you and that they're getting stressed too. And they're not exactly right. Yeah. Do you think that it's changed your, I mean, so yeah, you're very, your outlook is you're more cautious. You're cautiously optimistic about pregnancy. How do you think it's changed your feelings as a parent and as a grandparent? I mean, and specifically, do you think that you live more in the present and do you value that everyday moment more because absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I have always been more of a live in the moment kind of person anyway, but it definitely makes me realize that I, w I was trying to think that I want to make sure that we're very clear that this is the minuscule minority that we're, we're talking about, that I work with. And so I have to keep that in my head as well, because it, it is all of what I do, but it is such a small piece. And so I take joy in a lot of places. Um, as you well know, me sitting on my back patio and just staring at nothing is a joy for me. You know, that is a joy. Um, spending time with, you know, my family is a huge joy for me. And so we have to take that self-care. And I think as I think females, uh, the female gender tends to not do self-care quite as well um, as our male counterparts. So I do think that we need to be very careful and make sure that we are doing self-care every day. And even if it's five minutes, I think that's important. I think that um, we need to recognize that we can make a difference, right? That we can make a difference, a small difference, all right? But any difference is a difference. That we're not going to be able to change the bigger evil. I mean, that's just the reality. I can't change what is going on in other states or what may even be going on in my own state. 
um, what I can do is support the people and find a safe space to land, which is that self-care and and leaning in. Uh, we have to connect. That is what being human is, connecting to others. Um, when we talk about one of the things we didn't really get into is some of the grief, the mementos that we create. One of the ones that meant the world to me, and I wish I would have known about it even when I was having my own children, is breast milk mementos. I love those. Breast I do milk love jewelry. Those. Can you yeah. imagine as a, a parent of a child that has died that, you know, and even if you like these moms, we work on trying to, you know, if, if they don't want to donate, then we work on suppression, obviously. But you literally need five mLs. So you're not like keeping the supply going because that can be I, I need lactation consultants that are listening to be aware that that can be another added trauma. They're getting through that loss. And then two to three days later, you know, they're transitioning and so there are things that we do if they choose not to pump and donate, um, which is rare because for some women, that is a continuation of that, you know, grief process um, that yeah. they're continuously reminded. But I have had a few women do that and feel like that is their way of, yeah. you know, um, Processing honoring, yeah. you know, yeah. their, their baby's life. But the breast milk jewelry, just for me, um, that memento is a big deal. So I love that. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. God, honestly, I could, I think we could have this conversation for like a whole nother hour. I know. And I do think <laughs> that maybe I got us too confused. I think maybe, maybe there should be a whole separate thing on just pregnancy loss and that, you oh my know, God. I, you know working on medically complex. Think, this makes me think you need to come back. We need to do a whole nother thing. Um, and just dive deep into all these different topics because it, you hit so many good points. Um, because absolutely, you know, and not just, you, you mentioned mementos and loss, and that is so important. I, I, I want to spend time going back to that, but let's shelf it for another one. But also with medically complex babies being able to, you know, even if, even if you don't know whether or not that you're going to have this baby long, but if you choose to breastfeed or you choose to pump and provide breast milk, like the bonding and the connection that that can provide and, and just helping you process it. Um, but again, I want to be really clear about, and I'm sure, I'm sure like I might get heat for this, but like, I want to be really clear that women have reasons for their, for their decisions. And so if they decide to have a medically complex kid and not to pump and breastfeed, like here I am a lactation consultant and so are you saying that we got to respect that. You know what I mean? Because oh, this is a huge trauma that they're going through. And so while it can be really helpful to do that, um, if they choose not to, like that's something really important that we have to respect. And that's, you asked how my career, how my, how I perceive things has changed. I, um, I'm sorry to say probably in my early career, I was aggressive with the way I believed I should give information to parents. And over all this time, I have recognized that, again, we all do the very best we can. And I can provide you the information. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that, yes, breast milk for a, com a medically complex child yeah, it's gonna be help is, really helpful. can do these things. But mm -hmm. I can also tell you that your mental health, Yep. is as valuable to this child 
And so, and for the long haul of this, and so you have to do, and also there's no all or nothing. Yes. There is no all or nothing. Oh, I love that. Um, 100%. Your baby wearing, you know, sometimes people have a hard time reconciling that you cannot breastfeed, but you can baby wear and do skin to skin mm -hmm. and that it is absolutely. And I'm like, there's no all or nothing. You can get some of those benefits that we tout with breastfeeding by just doing skin to skin or baby wearing. And so I really want to make sure that we recognize that it is a spectrum. There is no this way, that way. It is a spectrum. And maybe one day you're feeling it and one day you're not feeling it. So, you know, all those things. I think that I it may not seem that I'm more relaxed in my thoughts, but certain things I am. <laughs> you know, I... First of all, let me just say how privileged I, I feel being able to have this conversation with you and even more so to be able to share it because of all of your your gold nuggets. I'm going to keep going back to that, that you have shared. Um, but I, I want to throw in one thing, and that is most of the people that work in such a specific niche as you know, um, perinatal maternal loss and medical complexities, you know, this specifically with women's health, you come to it from a place of passion and caring so intensely and wanting to be so supportive and helpful that um, you're coming for, from such a, a loving place and that we are all having to like navigate it. And it's a learning process to remove our own egos and yeah. just focus on how can I best show up and serve you and connect with you with another human being and a per and a person. And yes. you do that so, so well. And so I'm really glad that people were able to listen to you um, because I think that now more than anything and just, and, and I'm like really expanding this out, but just in the social issues that we have going on in the world right now, how important connection is and support is and just as human being to human being so it has been such a privilege to have you here and i'm going to say aunt sonia instead of sonia elder thank you so much aunt sonia for um coming and talking to everybody and you know i'm really gonna like try to tease out <laughs> another future episode from you after, well, after 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 we get off i'll be like oh man oh man i forgot I know, that all the good things. and i know it's not airing today but you know what vote 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 yes, <laughs> please. Yes, absolutely that's right today's the seventh one yeah so yeah. people will be listening to this then but absolutely thank you again so much everybody thank you for listening to the podcast baby, uh, baby wearing and breastfeeding nurturing miracles um and the upcoming episodes we are actually going to be um talking to a mom that found out at her baby's birth that her baby has down syndrome and what um she went through processing the diagnosis at birth thinking that she you know going through the pregnancy expecting it to be a healthy term pregnancy and so how she navigated that so that's going to be a really great conversation i'm excited for people to hear that um after that we're going to be talking to a um, certified nurse midwife and how she kind of screens people for having births in a birth a home birth because that's important right so like mm -hmm. one thing that we didn't touch on today um, that I've mentioned, you know, before, because in my story is that um, your birth choices can be deeply personal and having to navigate a different birthing experience than you expected. That's a whole nother layer. So I'm really excited to get her on and to have um, her share her information with you guys. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will be back next week.
Thank you all for joining us on today's episode of Baby Wearing and Breastfeeding, Nurturing Miracles. I hope you found our discussion enlightening and that you leave feeling supported and empowered. Remember, you are not alone on this journey. Tune in next week for more insights and conversations that connect us all in the shared experience of parenting. Until then, take care and cherish every miracle with your little ones.